Happy New Year, everyone, from me, Deacon Jim, and everyone else here at Forefront Church. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll recognize the voice being interviewed. It is Operations Pastor Mackenzie Gomez. She came on here to to expand on a sermon that she gave in November about ableism and exploring what Jesus shows us on how we are to interact with disabled people. Now, if you haven't listened to that sermon, you weren't able to catch it live, don't worry, I got you covered. A link for it is in the show notes. But she wanted to come on here because, as she says, there's really only so much you can cover in a 22-minute sermon. So we were talking to her to kind of delve deeper into these themes and especially to kind of flesh out the idea of her experience living with disabilities. Now, we'll fully admit that you may listen to this episode and perhaps be a little bit frustrated by it. Maybe there are some questions that you want me to ask that I don't get to. Uh, Maybe I come across as a little bit ignorant about certain things. Or maybe there are some things that you want Mac to hit on and she just doesn't. And you know what? That's okay. I totally understand. I'm not a paradigm of enlightenment or wisdom. This is way outside of my experience. So many things that I just don't consider on a day-to-day basis. And also, Mac, despite the fact that she is living with disabilities, her story is not everybody's story. The disabled community is not a monolith. Everyone's story is going to be different. Everyone's experiences are going to be different. I want us to keep that in the forefront of our minds as we listen to this episode and just realize that it re-emphasizes some really important things. One, that this is a conversation that has to happen early and often in churches, and that two, it may be a thing that many of us just don't consider in our day-to-day lives. But that's why I think this conversation is great, it's really important, and it's really powerful. I also want to take this opportunity again, as I've said in the past, that if you find that your life has been touched by this church or this podcast, I will encourage you to give and support our mission of living out a more just and generous expression of the Christian faith. If you want to find out how you can give, go to ForefrontNYC.com backslash give, or you can go on Venmo at, at FFBK-GIFTS. I really want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Mackenzie Gomez. Mac, happy new year. Happy new year. Yeah, it's been it's been a minute, hasn't it, since we've we last spoke. I know, at least in in this capacity. <laughs> well, in this capacity, yeah. In in per but still in person, it, it it wasn't exactly, you know, last week, I I would think. But fair, fair. but yeah, in this capacity, you know, uh Mac, you are no stranger to the forefront podcast, having been my my colleague, uh, my partner in crime a few times. Um, but there may be people out there listening who are new to the church have no idea what this church is, who you are. So I always want to do a softball for the easy for the for the first one, which is basically just like introduce yourself, Mac. Who are you? What's your role in the church? Kind of uh, let people know what your deal is. Yeah. Hi, I'm Mac, as uh, you call me, but my my legal name is Mackenzie Gomez. And <laughs> I uh, yeah answer to Mackenzie or Mac. My pronouns are she, they, and I am the operations pastor here at Forefront. So uh, I like to joke that that just basically means I'm the stage manager (laughs) with my theater background. Um, (laughs) um, But yes, I'm one of the people on staff and I've been a part of this church uh, for about five years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I I introduced you a bit informally. Like we're we're not a regular podcast here. We're the cool podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We don't do things like other podcasts do, um, <laughs> but uh, you're you're joining today because we basically w- I wanted to have a conversation with you, and you expressed a desire to do it too. Of just um, you had a a message uh, a little bit ago, just basically talking about ableism, uh, the church, uh, how people approach that, connotations to it, assumptions that people have that you want to break down that kind of stuff. And you felt, and I felt that it, there was a, a way to 
there was something natural in expanding on that, that there was there was grounds to kind of because you can only speak on so much in a 20, 22 minute sermon, really. Um, so I wanted mm-hmm. to have more of a, of a conversation with you about that. So um, expanding on this idea of who you are, what your role is, I'm wondering if you could also just talk about why that is a relevant topic for you, um, this idea of ableism and disability. And if you are, are comfortable kind of sharing a little bit more about conditions and symptoms that you experience and just really your journey from like uh, discovering, you know, the first hint that there was something amiss, if you want to say, to where you are today, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot in there. So if I miss something, just ask me, <laughs> guide me again through, because um, it is a, a long and windy journey that I've been on here. But sure. um, in terms of disability and chronic illness in general, um, I first started experiencing symptoms of something wasn't right. Something wasn't normal in my body as I knew it, uh, back in 2020 mm-hmm. <laughs> during lockdown. Yeah. And it surprisingly had nothing to do with the virus of COVID, but it had everything to do with being in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have, a some different things going on in my body that I guess were like dormant antibodies, um, different sort of autoimmune diseases and disorders where, I guess I've carried these genes or these, I don't know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know the right terms, but (laughs) I've carried something within me that um, I didn't realize. And I guess stress is a really big trigger for some of these things. And all of a sudden my body started feeling weird and just off and different from the body that I knew before. Um, And it, it took a while still is taking a long time. You know, I feel like it's a constant battle to try and see specialists and, and get a diagnosis. And it's sort of a, um, a journey of process of elimination, you know, all right, let's rule out all of these other things. Um, and sometimes ruling out all these other things doesn't even lead to a, a an answer of diagnosis other mm-hmm. than, I don't know, maybe go on to this next specialist. So that's been sort of the, um, medical journey that I've been on the past few years now. Gosh, it's 2024. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird to think about that. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. So things with my thyroid, things with that, that started to manifest physically throughout my body in different ways. um, That the way that I kind of put it is I developed a number of different chronic illnesses that in and of themselves may not be disabling for someone, but in combination or the comorbidities of all of them um, have created or or caused me to now be somebody who is disabled or as I more accurately would put it, I have dynamic disability. So one day I might be feeling okay um, and other days I walk with a cane or I bring my service dog or other things um insert insert assisted aid here (laughs) (laughs) and i'm wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about if we focus down a little bit of of sort of your emotional state your thinking when it it first kind of occurred to you that you may be a person living with a health condition or or some type of physical impairment because if people don't know who mac is you know you were a dancer you're a performer there were so many things you did in which you you used your body, you used your yourself yeah. to kind of serve the Lord, to to serve an art. And so what was it, where was sort of, or when was, if you could kind of pinpoint this this first thought of like, 
well, maybe this is something I can't do anymore. And sort of how, how we sort of started responding to that internally as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dance has been a part of my life forever. And I often will say to people that dance was my first language. Like I, I love using my body as an art form. Um, and when all of this started to, to come about, I definitely didn't want to talk about it. I had this, um, unfortunate now now it's unfortunate looking back it it, it i'm sad for past me past mac but mm. um i was embarrassed i didn't want to tell people that the very being my very being the way that i express myself was was feeling threatened and and it, it was even scarier because i didn't have an answer to explain to people why things were changing um and without having a clear answer, I didn't want anybody to really know. And because we were in lockdown, it was very easy to not let anybody know because I was pretty much alone in my apartment. And um, yeah, the the threat of of what will this do to my dance career was very scary. Um, but it's not the first time that I've been through that that very journey. Um, <laughs> so I broke my spine in college. <laughs> so I've had I've had my um my dance if you will with with losing um losing my ability in some way uh mm -hmm. and so that that fluctuation has has occurred before and I think I just um ha I had the instincts to want to have all the answers before I talked to people about it which was not realistic. <laughs> and and did that embarrassment did some of that stem from just this the connotations of the word disabled or 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 kind of how they care that with you because unfortunately today even today as though yes we have cured all social ills and 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 stigmas for in in the in the last 17 days in which the calendar has turned but there is a an otherness or a less than kind of connotation to it or something that has to be corrected did mm -hmm. Would you say that that sort of fed into that embarrassment a little bit or just just kind of the connotations around that word? Around the word disabled. Yeah, um, I, I think I think I've watched our world, our society, especially in the past decade, you know, really um, like interrogate language and what is um appropriate or what's a better way to say xyz and, and like really try and work together through our communities um on what's what's more appropriate how do we educate each other how do we grow and, and i particularly have seen us really work through this with race um and and when it comes to disability i have not seen as much progress and there's this like energy that i've witnessed um, and probably therefore have learned from or internalized of like feeling really sorry for someone in a wheelchair. Like we've learned not to feel that way for someone that looks different from us in terms of skin color. But for some reason, if some a very happy person is passing by, but they're using a cane, for some reason, we're like 
taught to feel bad about that or to like, oh, don't, don't um, make a big deal out of it or like try not to stare. Like the, people tell their kids like, oh, don't stare. Don't ask questions about, you know, if someone has something different than them, than, than you and, and therefore people don't talk about it and learn. And so because there's, that's, that was sort of the example that I've had for, you know, really to no individual faults. That's just sort of where we're at, at this point. And, mm -hmm. um, I definitely internalized that. And, and I didn't even know the word ableist really until I myself was trying to understand why I was feeling this way about my own physical process. It's really interesting how, yeah, there are, there are attitudes, approaches, things that we don't interrogate really. I mean, yes, when I was a kid, there was those things like, well, don't stare, like don't ask questions, that kind of thing. And like, but, but why, like, where, where does that come from? Because it's sort of like, don't draw attention to the fact that this person is what? Different, different than you are. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, and it is, it is really, that is a, that is a really interesting thought. That's something like for myself, like that just doesn't, that has never really occurred to me. Yeah. And like, even as I go through that thought process, I think, you know, well, yeah, I don't even now knowing what I know now and, and doing the research that I've done now and, and what, whatnot, I still don't necessarily want someone staring at me if I'm walking with my cane or whatever. But I like when I think of walking into church, for example, a, a, a venue and a place in a community where I feel very comfortable, but people knew me one way and then are seeing me another, like I, it, these are people that know me. If they, if they have a question, I want them to just ask me the question versus staring. And it's like, it's like the elephant in the room. Like we all know I didn't have a cane before the lockdown and now we're back at church and I'm walking with a cane or I have a service dog. Like I know people have questions. You can ask the questions, you know? Um, but as long as it's, I feel like with a kind heart and intention behind it of caring about the person and not just like, I don't know, this idea of like, oh, it's this weird, scary thing that we can't talk about. Well, and you talked about interrogating language too. And so I want to, I want to focus on that a little bit too, because mm -hmm. there, there is, this, there is this, the word disabled and even myself, someone who has never experienced anything, which is, you know, could be crippling or chronic is like, oh, is that the right word to use? And then there are, is that insensitive? And there's others out mm -hmm. there who say, like, no, you say differently able. And then there are others who's like, that's Oy an vey. even worse term. <laughs> Uh, use the term physical impairment and so i don't i don't want to ask yeah. like what what the preferred language is because it's like it's so frustrating for someone like me or just <laughs> people are in different are in different parts uh emotionally physically in their journey and just what do you prefer and and sort of why is why is it that the term that you prefer specifically and individually <laughs> the differently able to train took <laughs> oh man did that take over every like popular news article for for a few years there and it 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 is frustrating for me now that I what I like being in the disabled community community learning what I what I have learned um it's a euphemism mm. if you think about it the phrase differently abled even if the intention was to like uh level the playing field so to speak or like you know in an attempt to not other disabled folks as much maybe the intention was kind what it really does is it's a euphemism for 
disabled. Mm -hmm. Our world is created in a way for able-bodied people. If you think of New York City where we live, most subway stations are not accessible. Mm -hmm. You have and which, you know, which means there's not an elevator, but even if there's an elevator in certain buildings, you have to take a couple stairs to get to the elevator. Yeah. Like there's certain there are just so many things where the world is just structured in a way that it either benefits or is um like neutral of a of an effect for an able-bodied person mm -hmm. and the disabled person is at a disadvantage in terms of how society is structured how the world is just like physically built for us in society just like on a basic level of getting around and so when you when there are phrases like differently abled or um special needs or 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 just different i don't know they're they're just euphemisms what they actually do is harm us because it makes it even more difficult to get the accommodations that we need to actually level the playing field um if we are all differently abled then it makes it that much harder to advocate for a ramp being put in at a building or for, you know, different, um, getting a, a, an elevator put in. It's, it's, well, why is your different abilities? Why is that special versus ours? And da, 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 you know, it, 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 it makes it so much more of a gray area mm -hmm. whereas it's very clear. My disabilities actually make navigating this world more challenging because this world is built for able-bodied people. Mm. Is there even something as simple in language as like Mac has a disability, Mac is not disabled because one, one is sort of like says, this is what you're living with. The other one says like, this is who you are. This defines you as a person. This is what your identity is when it's like, no, 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 this is just, this is a part of me. This does not define mm -hmm. me. I think that gets even trickier and like sure. case case by case person mm -hmm. by person disability by disability right yep. like for me personally i don't get hung up on the details within where the word disability falls in the sentence for me mm -hmm. um i think it probably might be different for everybody again disability by disability like I don't know if someone who is blind will have the same reaction or feelings about it as someone who is deaf or as someone who like me has like a physical, like my legs sometimes don't work or, or whatever. Like we all have different things, but they're all disabilities. We all have disabilities. I say that I am disabled, but I don't know in there. It, like if there's a particularly PC version right now, you know? Well, and it's, it's more just a, a reminder of even for myself now uh, asking the question or as someone listening, like it's, you're, you're not a monolith. It's not, mm -hmm. it's, it's not, it's not going to be the same thing for every community. That's the same mistakes that we have made with, with race, with social class, this idea of like, mm -hmm. Oh, well, what would everyone prefer? And it's like, well, we are people like, right. what, what, what do I prefer? Not what is the best, but um one thing expanding on this i on this idea too is i i'm really hoping you can explain you said this in your sermon but explain to people like why you don't want to hear from people that you're an inspiration 
to them. Why, why, why is that not cool? I want to hear about that. Yeah. This, this whole idea that we are not an inspiration, uh, like just me by just the sheer fact that I have chronic illnesses that have made me disabled that in and of itself to it, it's not inspiring. It's like, like saying I woke up today or like I have curly hair or <laughs> I wear glasses. Okay, great. Or I have brown skin. Great. I am Mexican. Okay. That in and of itself doesn't necessarily make me inspiring. Uh, it When people say that disabled people are inspiring, it, it to me is like, oh, she's so strong for existing. <laughs> and it's like, not really like i don't know maybe but like don't but, you want a little more of a more challenging criteria here <laughs> like maybe if i if i inspire somebody because of some accolade or some i don't know something that i actually overcome okay great that might be related to my disability and like overcoming a barrier with it but just the fact that i have a disability doesn't mean that i'm inspiring mm -hmm. um but the the links, uh, the, Stella Young, the late Stella Young had a really great TED Talk on this exact topic that I really encourage anyone listening to go and watch. It's on YouTube and it's, I think, like 10 minutes long and it's so good. She goes into it much better than I just did, but uh, <laughs> that's where where I took that from. The, the implication is almost kind of like in that language, sort of like saying it's so great that you can be like us or you can act like us, even though you are an other. It's like, yeah, when, mm. when you break it down like that, like, yeah, don't don't say stuff like that. Just don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, you are. So we've we've dug a bit into like your emotional state, your journey. But also let's let's remember that you are also you're a, a pastor in a church. So faith and spirituality is a, a large part of your identity, who you are. It pays your bills, basically. Um <laughs> So <laughs> some of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's not talk about the American healthcare system. That's an entirely separate podcast. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I also like so getting back to this idea of when when all this started first occurring to you that you that you may be disabled, that you may be living with a physical impairment. Did you? I mean, did you approach? prayer did you approach the church did you approach the bible is like i need to find some type of reconciliation or comfort somewhere and did that work for you hmm. yeah you know even pastors have doubts <laughs> <laughs> let's just put it out there hopefully you all know this but mm -hmm. just have to say you know it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or work at a church or are a, a deacon at a church like we all have our doubts and our peaks and valleys of our faith right and I for a while avoided looking at the bible or christianity to help me navigate my newfound disability and it's sad to admit that it's sad to look at that it it makes even though I've overcome that in the more recent years I still get really sad looking back when all of this first started to happen and I my instinct was 
what has the world shown me in church settings up to now when it comes to disability? It was always pity. Pity and prayer. And I didn't want to be pitied. I wanted nothing more than to avoid that. And because I wanted to avoid that very specific breed of Christian pity, <laughs> I avoided turning to any any level of my faith to help me navigate this in the beginning. I prayed. I had my personal relationship with God still intact and I still believed in God and I still believed that there was something to come from this, something that I might learn, something that I don't, I didn't know the answer, but I knew I never doubted that God existed, but I did doubt my ability to trust the Christian community mm. to help me navigate this. I'm reminded of a a quote I heard years ago when I was an undergrad um, that the only problem with Christianity are all the Christians. <laughs> and is <laughs> is there any worse kind of pity than Christian pity? I don't know if there is. Um, and, and that's you know, and that's the thing is that. I knew like logically that, you know, we're so lucky to be at a community, a church community like Forefront, because mm -hmm. I, I know logically that this community thrives on growing and advocating. Radical equity is one of our core values at Forefront. And I, it's like, I know this. I literally work here. I helped write those values. <laughs> I know in like the depths of my soul that that is the the heartbeat of our community. And yet I was still afraid because of what the world at large had taught me. I was ashamed. And I was too afraid to possibly be met with the Christian pity that I, <laughs> that I learned growing up. I'm curious as do how your relationship with prayer has changed this you say you still pray mm -hmm. but has it does it sound different are there different things that are coming up because I, I know you like when when we were younger growing up in evangelical communities if there was someone who was sick if they were hurting emotionally or spiritually there was there's was always prayers for healing and a lot of times mm -hmm. healing was attributed to prayer as well yeah and I I I don't think I'm stepping out of bounds by saying like we're you're probably at a point where like it doesn't matter if everyone in the world prayed for you. <laughs> would that yeah. help? So so what do you, <laughs> what do your prayers look like? Sound like how has that mm. how has that changed for you throughout this? Oh, what a what a good question. I I I have to chuckle and and kind of shake my head as I'm just thinking about how my relationship and understanding of prayer has changed so much mm -hmm. in the past four or five years that I've been at this church and I'm still, I still don't know. <laughs> and I feel like it's just going to continue to change and I mm. have to be okay with that. Yeah. We have debates as a staff fairly often on the phrase prayer changes things. Mm. Does it? And then, and then I, I have to come back and, and settle on, you know, it's not that prayer is to change God's mind about us. It's to change 
our mind about, about God. God. Mm-hmm. And that is what I have to keep coming back to. Because even if what I'm praying, the words, it doesn't matter. God knows what's in, in my heart. I have to believe that. Some people don't believe in prayer at all. And that's that's okay as well. You know, that's all right. Mm-hmm. I've gone through my phases. Sure. But I think when I think about my personal prayer with God, I think it's mostly asking for me to continue to better understand God's plan here and not for me to ask God to change me or to heal. Like if I, if I get healed, okay, great. But I also know that I live in a realistic, imperfect world Mm -hmm. and I can only work with the information that I have at the time, Mm -hmm. right? And the information I have right now at the time is that sometimes my legs go numb and I cannot walk, but not all the time. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) That's what what I've been dealt. Mm -hmm. And I could drive myself crazy asking why me or why did this happen or what did I do wrong or try and start to go down this negativity spiral and let my prayers be filled with that but gosh what a waste of time what a sad waste of my time Mm -hmm. when i could be finding ways to continue to enjoy my life asking god to open my mind Mm. to versions of adaptability asking god to to help me understand how i can help others how i can even conduct this conversation like I think my prayer continuously evolves as God continues to help evolve my heart and mind around all of this. But I think the big thing around prayer that I've gotten very clear on is that I do not want anybody to pray over me without my consent. Mm -hmm. And if I don't want anyone to pray over me without my consent, then I, as a pastor, as a person, as a human being, cannot in good conscience pray over anybody else without their consent. And that, I think, is the one of the biggest lessons that I have come away with <laughs> because I happened to become disabled. You know, if someone were to offer like, dear Lord, please be with Mac, what mm-hmm. I hope it's saying and how I make sense of it is like, dear Lord, equip me to help (laughs) any way that I can. Not so much like, can you please take all these ailments away? But as much as like, I'm lifting up this person. So I want to be able to be well equipped to also care for this person. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like a thing. And I kind of equated to like having a conversation with like a therapist, like you are, you're speaking about things and you're speaking about yourself. And even if you believe that like God knows all this stuff or or God knows what conclusions you're going to come to, whatever you believe about God, you don't necessarily know it about yourself until right. you kind of get it out there and start working on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, does prayer cha- change things? Sure. Um, is it in the way that we were taught growing up? Like probably not. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. But again, does anybody actually know? that's kind of the fun the funny little thing about faith right (laughs) (laughs) i'm wondering where 
where and how the shift in perspective started with you because when something happens when you're diagnosed with something you can you can come at it or or your two approaches are through a faith perspective and through a scientific perspective mm. and we've kind of established already like the 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 bible wasn't doing the best job a lot of stories in the bible are jesus healing someone the leper was healed the blind person was healed the beggars are healed like it's these thing of like you are a disabled person is made abled so maybe that stuff isn't really helping maybe i'm not finding solace here but also you've mentioned you keep going from specialist to specialist to specialist and it's like a lot of times it's we're not really sure maybe it's this thing so you have these two realms which are not exactly providing you answers or equipping you to kind of progress and move ahead so who are the people or what are the insights what has helped equip you to sh kind of shift this perspective away from the mac that you had mentioned in 2020 to the mac that you are now something that has has helped you accept this as a part of you and not who you are two two different sort of things come to mind one is as just as i'm reflecting now maybe it was prayer <laughs> and i don't know that i would have known that was my answer until right now <laughs> just as i'm thinking this feels like therapy jim um <laughs> I'm like hmm. um you know when your therapist asks you questions and then you're like answer your own question that you came in with like, yeah oh, then something comes out of your mouth and like oh wow i didn't that know that brilliant until, <laughs> I, I didn't know that until right now wow yeah yep. yeah and i'm just thinking you know i uh, there are so many different things along the way that have made me come to terms with where my body is at right now and i could have made the choice to continue to be upset or bitter or frustrated and yes those feelings still come up sometimes especially in a really bad flare-up especially if that flare-up means that I can't do something that I really really wanted to do that sure that's frustrating and I sit with that disappointment but the more that I have prayed and just sat with myself and with God and acknowledged my body like you know what a body scan is mm -hmm. i do body scans so often now mm -hmm. i've never been so in tune with my body before mm. and i was a dancer <laughs> i'm sorry correction i am a dancer that's hey. like that is language that i am still trying to retrain for myself mm-hmm but I don't think I would even be on that journey had I not allowed myself the quiet meditation of prayer, the frustrating meditation that is waiting for some some kind of answer or someone to respond and just being left with my own thoughts for a while. Like that is something that has been a continuous movement within my own like perception of myself and how I navigate the world and how I choose to choose to wake up every day and and perspective that I choose to take my partner Diana and I were just talking about this um last week or so something like that when we started dating was also around when I was starting to get sick so she's kind of 
been on this this whole <laughs> journey of discovery with me from start to now mm -hmm. and in the beginning we were navigating every each and every appointment each and every new medication or new test or or scan with the sort of like motivation or, or drive of okay this is just going to get us another answer to get us to the next step so that we can figure out what this is. And in our minds, getting that diagnosis, getting the answer to what this is would then lead us to how do we fix it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was always the goal. And somewhere along the way, we realized that with each new diagnosis, they were all chronic. Mm. None of them are terminal. None of them are... Like whenever I tell people, or a lot of times when I say they're they're all chronic illnesses, people are like, oh God, are you dying? Oh God, do you have cancer? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not terminal, chronic, meaning that it it's not acute. It's not just a temporary thing where I can take an Advil and, and get better, put a cast on it and be fine in a couple <laughs> of weeks. It's something that I'm going to have and live with forever, most likely, or at least for a very long time. And when you learn that the diagnosis is not something that is curable, suddenly we're not waiting for that next appointment to get an answer to fix it. It's waiting for the next appointment to get maybe the referral for a physical therapist so that mm. I can go work on how to navigate things or, or an occupational therapist so that mm -hmm. someone can teach me, okay, these are the things that I wanted to, that I used to do. And now I have this you know, barrier, how can I work with that and come up with an accommodation? Like suddenly the shift happens of, oh, now I need to learn how, how to, like, I feel like my life was on pause waiting for some kind of answer to fix it before I went back to my normal life. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh no, now this is my life. How am I going to set it up in a way that I can enjoy it? And, and like not ignore the very real accommodations that I need mm -hmm. so that I don't hurt myself along the way. <laughs> and that shift combined with, I think the, you know, the prayer that has been here through the entire four years has, has helped me change my mindset around how I view myself and, and ableism in general, internalized ableism that I have. What these days on this journey brings you hope, inspires you? You don't want to be called inspiration, but there is stuff that inspires you, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So for you, what is it that is feeding you, that's energizing you, that brings you hope, that just like that allows you or, or makes it just a little bit easier to just kind of be like, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be another day and tomorrow's going to be another day and there's going to be great stuff in it and I'm going to be doing great stuff in it as well like what <laughs> what helps you with that these days I, I'm thinking about how I corrected my own sentence of I was a dancer to I am a dancer <laughs> that that is specifically because of the inspiration that I've filled on my news feeds on Instagram and TikTok and various in in various ways different accounts um there are so many disabled dancers mm-hmm who knew? I didn't know that until I started to look for it. But my <laughs> God, the beautiful choreography that is possible when you allow yourself to just adapt what you thought dance looked like. That's inspiring to me. Um, 
in terms of theater as well, like on the same track, um, Ali Stroker is like my total inspiration for theater. She won the Tony for Oklahoma um, a few years ago, and she is a wheelchair user and has a freaking Tony. Like, <laughs> like there are people, like I just, I look at people who are disabled and do inspire me because they are showing that my dreams are still possible if you allow yourself to adapt and open your mind. And I think about even just having my sermon back in November, as far as I know, it's the first time we as a church even started the discussion talking about disability. Mm -hmm. The conversations that have followed that one sermon so far have been so inspiring to me. The amount of people that circled up in person um, like for the post-sermon discussion in Kinship Cafe that came forward and were sharing that they have invisible disabilities that we didn't know about or they know somebody who is disabled that we didn't know about or like, you know, the the sort of ripple effect of identifying with, oh, I never heard anyone else talk about this, so I didn't know if I could talk about it. Mm-hmm. We sort of opened those doors and now it's just the beginning of hopefully many, many, many conversations, even like this one today, where we're like, this is an area that I might misspeak or stumble. I don't know what words to use, but I know we should be talking about it and I want to do better. I think, you know, so-and-so sitting next to me wants to do better. <laughs> How can we collectively do better and grow and learn? And just the fact that we are in a community that is so open to asking questions and having those discussions that inspires me because I hope that's not the only time that we'll talk about that from the, about disability from the pulpit. But even beyond that, I hope that people within just the community and small groups and friends and whatever, that it just slowly starts to change our perspective on how we view disabled people that we come by throughout life because one in four people will be disabled at some point in their life. So if it's not someone you know, it might be you. <laughs> and <laughs> when you get there, <laughs> you know, I hope if and when so-and-so gets there, I I hope that they aren't as isolated in the beginning as I was. I hope that we as a community have, you know, opened up the opportunity to talk about these things without embarrassment and work through them together so that that isolation isn't necessary. That inspires me. And for the allies and the accomplices out there, what do you want them to know? What do you want them to say, do, or just hear from you? Accessibility benefits everyone. The next time you have the benefit or luxury of taking the elevator instead of the stairs because your legs are tired or get to push your kid's stroller down the ramp versus having to hop it off the sidewalk or that stroller gets to slow down because of the bumps uh, on the ramp that maybe you never even thought about being there before 
there are all these little things along the way that have, you know, we have made improvements along the way. They might seem small or not fast enough, but they have happened. And anytime you find yourself benefiting from something like that, just take a second to appreciate it and then to observe further what could be even more accommodating, more accessible, because it'll actually benefit everybody. <laughs> <laughs>